Lord, we just thank you that we can come as a family tonight. We thank you that uh, you are such an awesome God and you love us so much. But not just that, but you love this world so much, Lord, that you came. And you came as a sacrifice to wash away our sins, Lord, so that we would have fullness and abundant life in you, that we don't have to be afraid anymore, we don't, we're not alone anymore. We have you with us, Lord, and that you sent your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come right now, that you, the words you've laid on my heart, that you would help me to deliver them clearly and that we will receive them and just sink into our hearts and bear fruit in our lives tonight. We come against any distractions, anything that would just distract us from receiving the word. We want to receive the word and, and have that word abide in our lives that we would bear much fruit for your kingdom. Lord. We want to be fruitful people for you, Lord. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, help us to focus upon you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, as we've been reading through Acts, you can see that uh, we're up to chapter 10 already, but you can see that God multiplied the church and he multiplied those coming to know Christ. And you can read about simple fishermen. You know, the disciples were fishermen. They were tax collectors. And you can read about just ordinary men and women just like us and how they began to spread the word of God and, and wherever they went, if they were persecuted, they went off somewhere else and they spread the word and God multiplied the church daily, it said. As they met together and they were serious and they, and they, and they just shared what they had knew about Jesus. But they were just ordinary people. And, um, you know, it was noted if, you, if you're reading in Acts chapter 4, that when they saw Peter and John, when they were taken, they hit they, the man who was, could not walk and they were going on the way to the temple to pray and they saw a lame man on the way and he asked for silver and gold and he said, we do not have any, but what I have I give you. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Don't tell me that it's not good to know kids' songs. You know, that is just straight scripture there from a kid's song. But uh, it's, it's, you know, and they got taken before the religious leaders at the time and they said, you know, what are you doing? And I said, well, we're just, we're just telling what we've seen and heard. And they said they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they marveled at them. And they had, but they said, but they have been with Jesus. Acts chapter 4. And then I had to read in Acts chapter 7 about Stephen. Now, Stephen was the first martyr in the church. He was killed for his faith. And uh, he stood up and he was speaking to the crowd and he spoke about Moses and he, and he wanted them to know that he knew the Old Testament, he knew the context of who we are. And um, he said, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. I want us to understand tonight that we don't have to have it all together to do things for Jesus. You know, the people in Acts that we've been reading about, they were just ordinary men and women and children who had just connected into Jesus, just like we had. His words just abided in their lives. They gathered together. They got fueled up as they gathered together, and then they went out and shared. But even Moses, he said, you know, Stephen's description of Moses, that he was mighty in words and deeds. But yet if you read in Exodus, he says, Moses said, O Lord, I am not eloquent neither before me or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And then Moses goes, God had said to him, I want you to go back to Egypt and, you know, and, and go and talk, talk to the Pharaoh. And Moses goes, no, 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 I'm not very good at talking. I'm not eloquent at speech. He had a stutter. And he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever, whoever else 
you may send. So send somebody else. And Stephen's talking to the people in the New Testament and he's saying, you know, and what, I, what jumped out at me when I was reading that last week was, you know, even Moses, he, he self-depreciated on himself. He didn't think he was good enough. And yet, what did God do with him? And later, years and years later, how did somebody describe him? Stephen said he was mighty in words and deeds. So it doesn't matter if we think we're uneducated or untrained or we don't have, we stutter or we don't have the words to say or we think, what can I do? What can I say? I can't get it all together. How can I share Jesus? Because these guys, they were just like us. They were just like us. They, they thought they weren't good enough. They were untrained and uneducated. But when they connected into Jesus and they gathered together as a church and encouraged one another, guess what? God multiplied to them daily. He built the church. He reached out. He did signs and wonders by ordinary people. You know, when Peter and John were brought before them, they were uneducated, untrained men. They weren't rabbis. They hadn't been to Bible college for four years. They hadn't, you know, been and sat with some mighty evangelist and learned how to pray for people. They were just ordinary, untrained, uneducated fishermen. And yet they marveled at them and they said, but these guys have been with Jesus and that's how they can be the way they are. Moses, he didn't think he was anything and he asked God to send somebody else. How many times do we do that? Oh, no, God, I can't do it. Send somebody else. You know, uh-uh. And, you know, if we read through Acts, we see that, that God just used ordinary people like us and he multiplied the church and he sent the word out and it went swiftly, the Bible says, and it just, you know, like... I, when I read that, that the word of God went swiftly, I see this, see this picture of it just you know, going into houses, down streets, you know, because we're taking it. And that's what they were like. And, they, and God multiplied. because Why? Because they went. They went and did something with what they'd be given. If you turn in Acts chapter 10, it's the story of Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was a man who was a centurion in the Italian regiment, and he was a God-fearing man. And I'm not going to read it all to you, but... You can just put a marker in there and you can read it tomorrow when you're, when you're flipping back. You can, you can back over chapter 10. And uh, he was a God-fearing man and he had a vision and an angel appeared to him. He was just an ordinary dude doing his job, but he loved God. And he had his vision as he was praying and uh, his angel appeared to him and told him to send men to Joppa for a man named Simon Peter, who was staying with a man whose house is by the sea. So what did he do? He got up from his prayer time, sent some soldiers, you know, friends of his that he could rely on and sent them to this town nearby called Joppa to a house by the sea. God's pretty cool. Yeah. And the next day, Peter, the disciple Peter who we know, uh, he's, he's praying on the housetop and uh, he has become very hungry and wanted to eat. See, just ordinary people. When you're praying, you get hungry sometimes. When you're fasting, you definitely get hungry. Yeah. <laughs> They're just ordinary. It's funny that it says that. He became very hungry. Just ordinary. Yeah. And wanted to eat and he falls into a trance and sees a vision of heaven opening and an object like a great sheet, like a big white sheet with corners tied, four corners tied. And down it comes to the earth holding all kinds of four-footed animals, creeping things and wild beasts. And then a voice came from heaven and said to Peter, rise and go and kill and eat. And Peter goes, no, no. For I've never eaten anything unclean, common or unclean. You see, the Jews had strict dietary regulations that they could not eat certain food. And so when this sheet came down and he saw some of those animals that the Jewish regulations, you were not allowed to eat them or you were 
considered unclean. If you look back in the Old Testament, you'll see that. He was like, no way, I'm not eating that. And God said to him three times, kill and eat. And he, and he got the understanding that he has, God has cleansed everything. And so what he has called clean, we must not call unclean. What he was saying was that you can go and reach out to, who, who, to whoever you need to reach out to. So next minute, there's a, next minute, there's a, <laughs> there's a knock on the door and uh, two men from Cornelius, his house, are standing at the door. So here's, you know, Peter's just had this vision of, you know, you don't have to worry about whether something's clean or common or not. I've made everything clean. Bang, bang, bang on the door. Is there a man named Simon Peter here? Yeah. Right. Well, this guy that we work for named Cornelius, who lives over in another town, he had a vision and he sent us to see you. Now, he knew that these guys were Gentiles. He's like, all right. See, God goes before us and paves the way. And so he says, he wants you to come. An angel appeared to him and he's asking that you would come. So he goes with him, he invites him in, they stay tonight, and then he goes with him. Now, now Cornelius is a man of faith. He gathers all his friends and family and, and relatives that he could gather in his house and he's sitting there in his lounge room waiting for the next day. And the next day, here comes Peter with his two friends that have just, you know, found him. Knocks on the door and in he comes. And Cornelius has everybody gathered just waiting. He was a man of faith. He expected Peter to come. Yeah? Imagine if you gathered all your friends and family and said, right, we're just waiting. Somebody important's coming to visit. I saw an angel. An angel spoke to me and this has happened. And now gather around and just wait. But he was expecting God to do something. Pretty cool. So Cornelius expecting them, and next day gathers all around, and then Peter comes and he says, we're here to hear what God has to say through you to us. You know, God goes to great lengths to reach people. He sends angels if he needs to. He sends visions if he needs to. He corrects thinking if he needs to, to reach people, because that's what his heart is, that we would, we, he would reach people through us. He wants to reach everyone, and even if there is great prejudice, um, you know, like it was between the Jews and the Gentiles, he got rid of it. And the cool thing about um, when you re keep on reading in chapter 10, as, as Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit came and baptised with fire everybody that was in that room. These guys were Gentiles, they were not Jews, and these are the first, some of the first Gentiles that received the Holy Spirit. So here they were all sitting and they, and they knew about Jesus and then poof, into the room, just like in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and anoints with fire and clothes with power these Gentiles. And so Peter goes, oh, well, God doesn't respect, no respecter of person. If he's going to do it for us, he's going to do it for them and it's all good. And, you know, he didn't have to worry about it. But God had been, gone before and paved the way and shifted things. You know, it's a bit like a chess piece a chessboard, and he just moves things to get what he needs to happen. Yeah? And sometimes we're trying to run around the chessboard going, no, no, I need to be over here. And he just, just let me move you where you need to go. Yeah? I don't play chess, but I know that much. So, <laughs> you know, God's heart is for the lost and uh, for the ones that do not know him. And when you read the Gospels and you read Acts, you see that over and over again, that God just did specky things to reach out and just be able to, people to hear. And you know, you read about Philip and, and the eunuch and he was reading Isaiah and as he was going along his chariot. And what did, what, um, did God do? He had Philip 
run very fast along beside the chariot to explain the scriptures to him. And then he jumps down and said, yeah, I believe. And would you like to be baptized? There's a bit of water down by the side of the water, baptize him. And then Philip was no more there. They found him in a city miles away. Pretty cool. I love that story. He was translated. They really, that's what happened. He was there beside, come here, Sharon. He was there beside you know, water and here's the eunuch. <laughs> and he baptised, he baptised the eunuch and then whoop, Philip was no more. It's in the Bible. He was translated, whoopie array, you know, and he find him later in the Bible somewhere else. Thanks, Sharon. And, and it was like he was, it was, he was there and, he was, and I, wonder, I often wonder what the eunuch thought about that. But he just got back in his chariot and off he went back to, back to Ethiopia. So, but it's like God is so interested in reaching people, he will do extraordinary things. And you know what? He wants to do extraordinary things through us. And I want us to get to the end of our days at, at least 120, Ken. And, you know, I want, us to, I want us to, like, look back and go, you know what? God did some cool things. We don't have to take drugs. We don't have to drink. We don't have to do all the things that everybody asked us to get a high because when you get high on Jesus, I tell you what, you know, nothing compares to that. You know, you, you, you tell some of the things in the Bible to some of your mates that don't know Jesus, they're going to go, wow, that's pretty spinny. Yeah? And it's real and it happens still. And we, you know, I've told the story before about how we're driving along, we're running out of petrol and we're at Seven Mile Hill, which is just outside of Kalgoorlie, and we're, and we're like, you know, how are we going to get there? And, and next minute, next minute, we're, we're nearly home and we lost half an hour on our journey. And we're like, how did that happen? That was a God thing. He picked up our car and translated us. You know, like, whoop. It's like God does things where you're being, where, where you're just serving him and he needs to get you somewhere. He'll get you somewhere. You know, it's just that we expect everything to always be in the natural. And when we read through Acts, Acts is there to show us that God moves in the supernatural. And he not just moved with Jesus that way, but he moved with the disciples and the early church like that. And guess what? Those days are now. This is that that he has prophesied about, that he would pour out his spirit in the last days and that he would do signs and wonders and he would do supernatural things through us. And if we don't expect it, he'll use somebody else. He'll just keep on. You know, there is miracles happening every minute. He said, we just have these natural eyes on and they're like blinkers and we need to turn on our spiritual eyes to see what God is doing. God, what are you doing? You know, there is angels in our midst. You know, the Holy Spirit, he's all around us. He's up and down our streets. He's brooding over houses. And he's just watching and waiting for us to get connected into him more so that he can use us. I want to be like Philip and zoop along. I want to be like Peter and John. And when you see an opportunity and you take it, how many times do we miss opportunities because we've got our natural eyes on? Do you walk into the shopping centre and expect God to speak to you and go and talk to that person? How often do we caught up in the busyness of the world? You know, the, the talks about the parable, the seed and the sower and the gospels and how the word sinks in and then, you know, the thorns come up and it crowds out that little seed, that word, with the cares and the deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things and so it is not fruitful. When we read Acts, if our hearts are crowded in with the desire for other things, then the supernatural things that happen in Acts, the supernatural things that God wants to do in us, the clothing and power that he gives us when we're baptised in the Holy Spirit, it's going to be crowded out so his word will not abide in us richly. And so we can't expect to ask anything because we don't believe it. 
If you read Acts and you believe that he is the same yesterday, today and forever, then you're going to get out of bed on Monday morning and expect God to do some Acts things. Yeah? You're getting happy on the inside, I can see. But if we don't, and that's why Acts is there, is to give an account of what God did through the early church. Because it's t- he's still the same. He's still wanting to use us the same as he did back then. And he still has a compelling, huge heart for the lost. His heartbeat is for the lost. His heartbeat is for those who do not know. His heartbeat is for those that do not know out there about Jesus. That is his heartbeat. You get close to Jesus and that's what he talks about. That's what his heart is. He went to the cross, not just for us, but for every man, woman and child. That's his heartbeat. And we get so weighed down and distracted. And I get distracted. I mean, if you live in my house for five minutes, you'll see that it can be crazy and busy and stressful and all those things. And sometimes you just go, oh, just breathe and focus. And the enemy, he sends things in to distract you and sends strife in your home and you know, things happen and you, and you just got to breathe and go, hang on, what is it all about? And, I, and, you know, Philip and I are pastors, but we don't have it all together. You know, we get distracted and we get weighed down and we get burdened and discouraged just like the rest of you. We're just ordinary people. But when I come in contact, into, you know, just come into Jesus' presence, it's like focus and perspective comes. That's why we've got to spend time in his presence every day because you just know what you're supposed to be doing with your day. Now, Ivan often asks me, because he's interning for us, and he'll say, what, are you, what have you got for me to do? Hang on a minute, I haven't talked to Jesus yet, so I don't know, I haven't got my list. Because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So I can't tell anybody else until I've spent time in his presence. Yeah? Jesus, he would get up and spend time with the Father every day just so that he would know what he was supposed to be doing. If Jesus needed to do that, because he said, I'm here to do the will of my Father. If he had to do that, we need to do that. Yeah, Because otherwise it's just the world crowds in and that's what the enemy wants, that he sends distractions, he sends cares and worries and, and, he, and it's like we can either choose to focus on Jesus and go, you know what, Lord? It says seek you first and your kingdom and your righteousness and all those other things you're going to take care of. And we've got to believe that because otherwise the stuff that happened in Acts, we're going to miss it. And I don't want us to miss it. I want us to be a rip-roaring Harley Davidson, woohoo, you butte church. I want us to be people that are so on fire. And you know, it is just a normal thing for you to go out, all of you, you know, and pray for the sick and to see miracles happen and to see angels and to see visions and to see, have dreams and, you know, to have this fire in your belly that's just like, whoa, what have they got on them? Because you have God's stuff on you and you know what? We just don't believe it enough. Because if we believed it, they wouldn't be sharing it with others. But we don't believe who we are in Christ enough. We don't believe that we're forgiven and set free and worthy and healed, that we are the healed. So when sickness comes, we don't have to go, uh-oh, oh no. We don't just take the place of we are free from every curse and we are the healed. So we, you know those slimy bugs I had? I was going to get some slimy stuff actually because we are healed and we're set free. So when sickness is around, it's like just the enemy throwing stuff at us. It's not that we are sick trying to get healed. We are healed flicking off sick. See the shift? We're set free. We're the delivered. But if we don't believe it, how are we ever going to be able to share it with somebody else? And the only way we're going to believe it is we take his word and it abides in us richly 
and we understand what God's heart is. And we get so distracted with everything else that we forget what we're here to do. His plan and purpose is solely for us to rescue others. And he says when you do that, your life is going to have meaning and purpose. We think that it's all the things that we can see with our natural eyes, that we'll have a career, that we'll go to uni, that we know we'll have a house, that we'll find a mate, that we'll have babies, we'll have all those things, and they are all good things. You know, travelling the world, it's all good things, it's all blessings that God wants to bestow on us. But the sole purpose why we are here is to reach out and rescue the lost. Otherwise, when we got saved, we could have gone to heaven. Why are we here still otherwise? It's because we are his army. We are his hands and his feet. And he trusts us. Sometimes I don't know why he trusts us, but he trusts us. Yeah? Jesus' heart is for the lost and for those who don't know him. And he compels us to go and reach out to everyone and anyone. Jesus didn't go just to the socially comfortable to minister to them. He went to the unclean and he went to the uncool. He went to the lepers. Now, if you've ever met a leper, they have bits missing off them. They have scabby skin. They have their noses not there and their ears missing. And they can't, you know, they, they're, they're all bandaged up. And it's not pretty when you go to see a leper. And yet he would go to them. And, you know, they didn't have modern understanding of what leprosy was, but he would go to them. They were considered totally unclean. And what would he do? He would reach out his hand and he would touch them and he would heal them. He did not go to where it was socially comfortable. You know, and sometimes we're in, a, and we're in a social situation and we get out little huddles and it's like comfortable and we know everybody and I get it. I get that. But guess what? We're called to go. When you get in that little circle, have a look at each other and go, oh, hang on a minute. Let's, you know, because we get in this little thing and we get facing each other and instead we're meant to be looking out, looking outward. Because if we don't look outward, we're looking inward and then we get all self-absorbed with our own little petty things. Yeah, If you're constantly looking inward and constantly looking at what you're doing and how your life is going, then you get so self-absorbed that you're no good to anyone and you're a pain in the bum to yourself. Yeah, And all of us are like that, aren't we? We get very self-absorbed in our little, little life and my bills and my life and this is what I want. And you know, all of those are great. And he says he'll add all those things to, to you. But he also says go. He says go into all the world and make disciples. Peter in his account, he, um, you know, when, he, when we read in Acts, Acts 10 about him going to Cornelius, that was not a comfortable thing for him to do. It was not socially acceptable as a Jew for him to do that. He would have been nervous to do that. They were just ordinary people and he was sitting on the roof and he got hungry and, well, God, why'd you do that? I was just hungry, saying I'd like a lamb burger. You know? And now next minute I have to go to Cornelius' house and he's a, he's a Gentile and, he, and you know, I've, never been in, I've never been in a Gentile's house, let alone and sat down and eat with him and you're telling me I have to go. It would have been uncomfortable for Peter. But because he went, because he went and he did what God said, huge amounts of people were saved and the, the gospel went to the Gentiles. That's us. We're not Jewish. Now, guys, if Peter had not done this, just listen up. You would all have to be circumcised and all your sons would have to be circumcised and all those sort of things. And women, you don't even want to think about what you would have had to do as a Jew. Yeah? But because Peter was obedient, he went 
the, the word came to the Gentiles, it came to us and it spread over the world. But if Peter had sat there going, I was just hungry and no, I don't want to, I'm a Jew and I'm not going to that guy's house, how often do we do that? I don't want to go and talk to that person. No, I'll just, I, I don't want to. It's not comfortable. They're uncool. Well, they look funny. They smell funny. Yeah? And we don't want to go and talk to them. Well, your heart's beating and your mouth's gone dry. What am I going to say? You know, none of that washes very well with Jesus. He just says, go. And every time we refuse to go, somebody isn't hearing. And we're not being obedient. You know, God, he gives us words to speak. You know, he said to to the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words. Because we have the Holy Spirit abiding in us. So we don't have to worry what to say. And when you get equipped with things like contagious Christianity or you just read your Bible or you just say, you know what, I don't have the answers but I'll tell you my story. This is what Jesus has done for me. Your testimony, what you have to say is powerful. And you'll be surprised, you know, just people want to be loved. Jude was sharing because I know some of you awesome cooks have been making meals for Jude and Linton as she's been busy with studies. And she said to me last night as I was talking to her, she said, You know, I've shared what my church is doing with um, people that I know and they've just been blown away that people would do that. We didn't do much. We've just been sending meals down to Judah Linton to feed them. But but that just blew people who aren't in church away. That blew people. They just could not understand that. She said they were just totally amazed. Just because we cared. The world needs to know that people care. And most of the time they're just going... You would have no idea often what's happening behind closed doors in people's world. And every now and then it spills out in the street. And, you know, on our street every now and then there'll be somebody down the street screaming and weeping on their front yard and you're like, oh. You know, you're going for your walk in the morning and you hear screaming and yelling and the whole family, something dramatic happening in the house. But that happens everywhere. Everywhere in every household. And people just are quietly and not so quietly desperate. We have it, and you don't have to have it all together. Peter and John and the disciples and the early Christians, they were just... There's a reason why the Bible said they were ordinary. They were ordinary people. They pray and they got hungry and got distracted. You know? In the early church, you hear about fighting. That's why there's so many letters. Because they fought with each other. You know, they're just ordinary people and they needed to be brought into line. They weren't perfect. They didn't have it all together. They hadn't been to Bible college, all those things. So all our excuses mean nothing to Jesus. He goes, not good enough. Go on, go. Get out of bed. Go. Go and see that person. No huddling in your little comfortable zone. Go. Go, go, go. That's what he says. Go into your world and make disciples. That's what he says. And he says, and the Bible says that we are willing and obedient and we just do what he says. You know, he says we'll, we'll have the good of the land. There's a blessing every time we go and do stuff for God. If you're saying, God, I want to bless, bless me, bless me, go. I'll take care of all your other stuff. Just go and do what I told you to do. Yeah? William and Catherine Booth um, started the Salvation Army and we... We're, um, the kids are actually learning a little bit about them tonight. And we were st- um, studying them and looking for some clips as we prepared for their lesson this week. And um, they were the founders of Salvation Army in the mid-1800s. 
and they believe that Christians should be loosing the chains of injustice, freeing the captive and oppressed, sharing food in their homes, clothing the naked and carrying out family responsibilities. Thieves, prostitutes, gamblers and drunkards were among the Booth's first converts to Christianity and their congregation was generally very, very poor. Now, it wasn't, often you only hear about William Booth, but I love to hear about the mighty woman who, you know, I've gone before just to encourage myself. And now Catherine Booth, she, they had eight children and uh, she, she got married to William and she quite strongly told him in 1853 that women are equal to men, it's just that they have not been given the proper opportunities to be educated and that they should be able to preach and all those things. And William disagreed with her. But anyway, she must have had a piece about it because she married him anyway. And uh, they had eight children. And, and then in 1860, she was sitting in a meeting. And they'd been married for quite a few years. And, you know, she was a strong woman and she had her opinions about things. And, um, you know, that's okay, girls, to be strong. You're allowed to be. Yeah? And, and that she was sitting in a meeting and... All of a sudden, she was just about this compelling that she could not squash down to stand up and get up alongside her husband and preach. And so she just let rip for it. Now, William was so impressed with her, but after that, he changed his mind about women preachers. So that after that, she went around preaching everywhere. But she would, she would feed her babies, and she had this blanket, and she would stick, feed the baby, breastfeed it, stick it on the mat, and the others, you know, the siblings would have looked after her, and she'd jump up on the pulpit and preach her heart out, you know, and she would... Um, what are you looking at me for? <laughs> she would, she would. <laughs> well, you know what? It's no excuse. I, I read her story years ago when I was, you know, feeding the kids and, you know, so I'd feed them and then chuck them to Philip and then jump up on the, on the platform because it's no excuse. When you have children, it's no excuse to disappear into your house and never come out until they're five years old. You know, when you're called to do something, you've got to do it and you've just got to figure it out. And our house is not peaceful and serene all the time. Just ask Ivan. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit chaotic and there's screaming and yelling and we're not perfect. But we know that we're called to do something and we just try to do it the best we can. And we might look back and go, oh, we could have done that better. But, you know what? I think God's all right with that. He doesn't expect us to have it all there. He just expects us to be obedient and willing. So she would jump up and she would preach her heart out. And, and so, you know what? It was not socially acceptable. It was very uncomfortable for her to do that and her social standing. Women were not allowed to speak in public, let alone preach. She was a social outcast for doing that. She had, would have had men heckling her. She would have had the other woman. You know, I've had that myself let alone in the 1860s when it was like unheard of for a woman to preach, and other women would not have been nice about it. How do I know that? Because I've had other women not be nice about it. Yeah? This is 2013. This was 1860. So here she was, and it was not comfortable for her to do what God asked her to do. So don't think, oh, if I've got a piece about it, if I'm comfortable with it, I'll do it. Because quite often, God will allow you to be uncomfortable as a catalyst for change. Yeah? He will stir something up on the inside and you'll oh, just follow peace. That's a different type of peace. That is a knowing in your heart that God is there, not your flesh being peaceful. That's your spirit being peaceful to follow peace, not your flesh and your mind, you know, oh, I'm not comfortable. Too bad. Go. Do what God told you to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> so they had a lot of opposition. They were opposed by the church at the time. You know, they actually they were told that the only place they were allowed to preach 
was in an established church building. And so their church didn't like them doing that because they didn't like the style of pre preaching and they didn't like Catherine preaching, so they weren't allowed to. So they would go to the parks and they would go to the marketplace. Well, they weren't allowed to do that there either. Sounds familiar. We're not allowed to do that there in, in our shopping centres. So you know where they went? Does anybody know where they preached? They went to the cemeteries. I don't know if anybody got raised from the dead in the cemeteries, but they would gather a crowd and they would preach in the graveyard because it was beside the church. And so they went, well, you can't move us on here. So they would preach there and they would gather a crowd. And, you know, and they had lots and lots of people come to know Jesus through that way. And then their whole idea was they would be evangelists and then they'd send them in, these people that got saved into the churches. We you know what would start to happen? They'd get the smelly saved. They'd get the ragged, ragged people saved. They would get those who were social outcasts and drunkards and prostitutes and thieves saved and thugs saved. And they would go into these very respectable churches and they would turf them back out again. Hmm, don't think it wouldn't happen now. Yeah? And so they started their own congregations wherever they could. And that was not comfortable for them to do that. And they were told to move on. But they had a passion for the lost the hungry and the hurting. And William had a revelation in his early years that up until that point that he'd only been living for himself. He was going along, he was a young man, and he just had this God encounter that, you know what, he'd only been living for himself. He had this vision of himself standing before Jesus and then seeing these, these men and women that he knew were mighty men and women of God gathering around him. And he looked at his life and, and he said, you know what, I'm not too happy with myself because I've just been living up my life for myself up to this point, this point. And these people that I see around me, they've given up their life, they've sacrificed, they've just done what God asked them to do. And he looked at them and he went, and he looked at himself and he wasn't too impressed. And he had this vision and then he had a sense of Jesus saying to him, go and make a difference. Go and live a life that you're not going to be ashamed of. Go and do what I've asked you to do. And so he did. He lived a life that made a difference. And if you read the story of the Booths, it's pretty amazing. You know, the Salvation Army is great, but it's not so much what it started out to be. If you read the story of how it started, their motto was blood and fire, the blood of Jesus and fire of the Holy Spirit. And they had some rip-roaring Pentecostal Holy Spirit meanings back then, which were not orderly and, and, and such of what you would call orderly. And, and, but amazing things happened and people got saved and out in the streets they were getting saved. But they had an opposition. They actually had a thing called the Skeleton Army, which was a bunch of thugs that were supported by the officials and the government and the bar owners and anybody else who didn't like them preaching on the street and them getting out with their drums and you know, their musical instruments and going down. And, and if they didn't like it, they actually gathered these thugs around and they call them the skeleton army and they would throw food and rocks and you know what, that's where the bonnets came in. The, the Catherine decided that instead of the ladies all being egged in their face and tomatoes throwing them, that she would sew bonnets for all of them so she'd put them on their heads to protect them from being egged. But some of them died. They got, they got stones thrown at them and, and people died doing what God asked them to do. There was opposition. Don't think that it's always going to be comfortable. Don't think that when you talk about Jesus, you're not going to get opposition or persecution. But I tell you what, when you stand before Jesus, I don't want us to think, oh, 
I'm a little bit ashamed of my life. I want us to come in and go, you know what? I lived the life that Jesus called me to live and I was obedient and willing to the best of my ability. And I, you know, when, when I miss an opportunity, I just get back up again and go out and, do it and try better next time. So that when he sees it, he says, come in. You know, good and faithful servant, enter your rest. That we can know in our hearts that we've lived the life that God asked us to live. God loves us so much and he's given us so many blessings. And if we walk in his ways and listen to him, we'll have his provision and we'll have his healing. We're free from the curse. You know, we have him with us. But we've got it all for a reason. God isn't just wanting us to be this blessing crew and bless me, bless me, bless me. You know, he says that he will bless us and look after us, but then he expects us to do something with that blessing. He expects us to go out into all the world and share that blessing and to bring heaven to earth. You know, the Lord's Prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is not just some nice prayer that we pray every now and then in church and they say in Parliament. It says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Blessing would come from heaven to earth and it's going to come from us. And if we're sitting in church in Holy Spirit time and then we go out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, roll by and we haven't gone anywhere and we haven't shared and we haven't blessed anybody, then it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Adog is to bring heaven to earth and to bring it to others. You know, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that we worried about, because that scripture is after the do not worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or what you're going to drink in all your life. That's what that scripture is about. And right at the very end of it, he says, do not worry, but seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. That means his right of thinking and doing. And I will add all those other things to you. But if you keep on getting it round the wrong way, you're just going to keep on going round and round in circles wondering why you don't feel fulfilled. Wondering why your purpose is not happening. Wondering why you never quite feel like life is how it should be. You see that in John 10.10 it says that Jesus came to give us fullness and abundant life, that it would overflow. But if we don't flip that round and seek him first and we're always seeking ourselves and our pleasures, then we're never going to have that abundant life that he says we can have. You know, those guys in Acts, they had abundant life. Because they were moving in the power of God. They knew they were obedient. And whether they had to flee from their homes, they just set up camp somewhere else because it didn't matter about their stuff. Their stuff didn't matter because they knew what really mattered. They knew what they had and they knew they were meant to share it. Seek first his kingdom. That's what he says. Don't worry about it all. He says don't worry because I've got it all in hand. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to give you everything you need. And he says, I know the desires of your heart, but if you delight in me and put me first, I'm going to bring it all together. But when we get it flipped around the wrong way, it becomes me, 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 and you forget about them. I want to show you a clip tonight. And it's a little bit in your face clip, but it pretty much sums up what I've said tonight. I just want, I'm going to pray first, and then we're going to show it, and then we're going to close the service. But uh, I want you to just... Have that on your mind, what God's heart is. This is a clip that William um, Booth, they've made a vision that he had, and a, a vision of the lost. And he had it, and it compelled him to live the life that they lived. It compelled him to reach out. It compelled him to sacrifice. It compelled him to give his, give his life and to gather his family around. And, you know, 
I want, I want us, each one of us, not just Philip and I or our kids or, you know, one or two of you, but each one of us to be able to stand and go, you know what, I did what God asked me to do. Each night as we put our heads on the pillow and say, Lord, thank you for this day. I did what you asked me to do. I did what you asked me to do. Even if it's just a simple thing as sending a card or ringing somebody up or sending a meal or it's leading somebody to him or praying for somebody that we know and we put our heads on the pillow that we've done what he asked us to do because otherwise our life is very self-absorbed and it's a very small life and God came to give give us fullness and abundant life. So let's pray and then we're going to watch this. Lord, I pray that as we watch this, that we would not feel condemned, Lord, but that we would feel convicted to just reach out and to go. Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be open to receive that, that word that you spoke so many years ago to William Booth, but it, it applies to us because it's in your word and it's your heartbeat, Lord. That we will receive it tonight, Lord, and go. And go some more. And go and make disciples. 